the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between. It's our third week back after doing number three last week, but I don't have any number coincidences, which has really disappointed me. Yeah, I like the number three thing. Weirdly, I've had a week and I've just been. You know, it's that thing of when you get something in your head. I've been seeing threes everywhere I go and thinking of threes. So oh, yeah. You put it in there. Yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, you buy a yellow van and you see yellow vans everywhere. I was reading, um, I think it was in an old 14 Times that I was thumbing through, possibly in the bathroom, about 2.22. I know Danny Robbins has got that um, stage show about that particular time. Uh, yeah. But lots of people claim to wake up at this specific time in the night and there's all kinds of myths and legends put around it. I haven't seen his play, but potentially that's what it's about. But uh, I, I now keep seeing 2.22 on like the microwave <laughs> clock and freaking myself out. But I think it is, it's, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. There must be an official name for it, which I can't remember at the moment, but there must be one. Right? Yeah, yeah, there will be, yeah. Yeah. Well... <laughs> I don't think I can segue again. We always do this to ourselves, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. We, we should think of the worst thing we can say just before we need yeah, to segue. Yeah, the segue challenge. Yeah. 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 So that's what they do with avocados, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tinned potatoes are fantastic in air fryers. Anyway, what have you got for us this week? <laughs> well, psychics. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, psychics like potatoes. <laughs> So we have talked about psychics and we've interviewed psychics on the podcast before. Mm, we have. Um, but today I wanted to look at the topic of psychic mediums from a slightly different perspective. Mm. And it was inspired by stories I heard as a child about one of my relatives who died before I was born, who I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. Now, there were lots of tales about her. She was a psychic medium. She held seances. She did private readings. Um, she used to uh, contact bereaved families with messages from their departed loved ones during World War Two. So uh, there were loads of stuff. And there are a couple of really spooky tales I remember well. The first my dad told me about, um, and this happened a few years after this psychic family member had passed away. And my dad was at a funeral and the subject of her psychic abilities came up. And one of the family was basically saying that they didn't believe she had psychic powers at all, that she was just a fake or a fraud. And as they finished their words, a cup of tea they were holding in their hands, it flew out of their hands, shot across the room and landed on the floor on the opposite side of the room and not a drop was spilled out. No way. Yeah, yeah. And... My dad told me this story. Now, he was not a great believer in the paranormal by any, any stretch of the imagination, but he told me this story and he said it was the strangest thing he'd ever seen. So, so it lands top up, as it were, yeah. and the tea is still, 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 in, still there. in there. Not spilled at all. Just fl- shot out of his hand, apparently. Ooh. Yeah. That's quite spooky, right? That is really spooky. It wasn't her funeral, but it was, it was another relative's funeral. But that's, that's a real, uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't real, was I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and as I said earlier, I ne- I'd never met this relative with the psychic powers, but some members of my family wondered if I had. And this goes back to when I was in my 20s. Uh, one of my aunts said to me, does that lady still come and visit you at night? And I said, 
what you're talking about. And she said, well, when you can get sleep, you used to say that this lady would come and brush your hair mm. and talk to you. Now, I, I have no memory of this, but apparently this is what I used to say. And my description of the woman was similar to the aforementioned psychic relative. How old were you? They said I was probably about three, four, five, around that age. So, so kind of toddler age. Right. Interestingly, sort of, uh, to back ref, that is roughly the same age as um, Nikki's son when he was having his problems. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I don't remember a thing about it. No, n- my aunt said it was never anything scary. She no. was just nice to you and helped you get to sleep. And would, I'd say, yeah, you know, she's really nice. She comes and brushes my hair. Wow. Yeah, weird. But having told those two stories... The story that most intrigued me about her, funnily enough, were tales of her helping the police in missing persons inquiries. Oh. Now, the way the story was told to me, I've got no way of checking this. And I'm not even, like, sure which member of the family it was. So it's really hard for me to track down. I've asked kind of my remaining family members and it's all a bit vague. So I can't really narrow down who this person is. She may have been called Bella, but maybe not. I don't know. But the story of her helping the police that was told to me, which intrigued me, was rather than her approaching the police with information, the story goes that the police approached her and said, can you help on this inquiry? Which I would never have thought would have happened. Yeah, exactly. And it may may not have happened. You know how these things get exaggerated and changed over time. Yeah, yeah. But even so, all it takes is, you know, I guess a kind of a mixture of desperation for a lead and then somebody saying, well, you know, what harm can it do? I presume, I mean, you probably don't know the details, but you'd keep it on the down low. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. I don't know much about it. All I know is what I was told, that my relative told the police to look in a reservoir uh, as she believed the missing person's body was there. Now, the police had no leads that connected this person to that location, so they didn't act on the information. However, later in the investigation, they were drawn to that very spot. Divers searched the reservoir and found the body of the missing person, just as my psychic relative had predicted. Oh, so was it recorded that she'd said to do that? Is that known fact? No, all I've got is this through hearsay. And actually, while I was researching this, I mean, I didn't spend days, but I started trying to dig around and research and putting in keywords. You know, but like I said, I'm not sure of the relative's name. I'm not sure of the exact location or the case or the time. Uh, And it it must, I mean, I know she was probably most active during and just after World War II. So again, it's really difficult to track down that kind of information. So it could just be one of those stories that has, you know, that's almost become family legend rather than reality. But it, it intrigued me. And I think it was that bit that intrigued me was the police involvement. Because, you know, psychics and mediums can often, many times rightly, get a bad rap. Sceptics would say that it's all a scam, a way of conning people out of money. It's the classic stuff you hear, right, from a sceptical point of view. Um, And that they use clever tricks and techniques to get information out of people and manipulate them. 
So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I thought it was worth talking about some of the techniques that, let's say, the less scrupulous psychics can use. Mm. So, I mean, these are pretty obvious, and you've probably seen them before. Darren Brown and people has exposed a lot of this in the past. But they're things like generic statements, things that apply to most people, but do sound impressive, especially if you're a willing audience or you want to believe. You know a tall man. Yeah, or things like you've suffered a great loss in your life, haven't you? Yeah. You know, somebody's going to react to that and go, oh my God, I have, but, you know, everybody is. I always think of the... um, if you remember it, the uh, the psychic medium show in Phoenix Nights. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you got something you want to tell your wife, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're holding a secret, aren't you? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, a great loss can be anything from, a, yeah, I, I lost 20 quid on the horses too. I lost my dad, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the use of cold reading and getting other people to give you important information, either directly or by questioning them and observing their reactions, a bit like a poker player, I guess. You know, so, I mean, again, it's, it's things like I'm getting the letter B coming through and I look at you and you don't react to that and I go, oh, oh hold on, is it, is it a P? Is it a P? Oh, you look like you're more open to that. So you, a series of questions where you can kind of dig deeper. Mm. Some psychics even go as far as doing detective work on their audience or clients in advance. Um, it's also known that some stage show psychics have planted people in the bar or the lobby in the theatre to listen in on the conversations. Because again, you're going to say, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if they got my aunt Claude to come through? Yeah. And some even interact with the punters to try and get information out of them. That information can then be passed to the psychic before the show or even there's been examples of some wearing secret ear pieces ear pieces and being fed information by a producer effectively in a gallery somewhere yeah yeah i think that's how um that's how they caught or well supposedly caught out um derek akora oh really yeah because um th- there was some duff information planted to we to prove where he was getting the information from right yeah. right okay now i'm sort of, i'm not saying that all psychics use these sharp practices but some do some may even use skills like cold reading instinctively without even knowing they're doing it yeah, right yeah uh, they may just be naturally good at reading people and picking up on the right signs the problem for me and i don't know if you agree is that all this feeds into a skeptic narrative basically that psychics are frauds and just do it for the money right yes yes and i think that's why i'm fascinated by stories of psychics who work with the police on investigations i mean they're certainly not doing it for the money right i mean i don't think they probably get paid or if they do it'll be minimal uh so they're not doing it for financial gain guess you could argue there might be a certain notoriety of working with the police but i was thinking about it if you're a fraud or a faker, that is a pretty high-risk strategy, right? <laughs> yeah, very much so. You know, I'm yeah. going to work with the police on a serious criminal investigation knowing that it's a con would be incredibly bold move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my instinct goes, I, I'm sure I've seen fictional characters where they're blessed with some skill of psychic ability um, and they make their money by doing the 
you know, will I get married stuff because they can for 20 quid, but they're overwhelmed by needing to help. So they, that's when they go to the police and offer their, yeah. their time. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I read somewhere, and you might go into this, but the, quite often in murder cases, the police get loads of letters from people saying, oh, you should look here. But the world is full of absolute arses, and half of them are people who are just doing it for a joke. And so finding the actual one that's yeah. real is hard. Well, it's funny. We will come on to a bit of the kind of police's reaction to this because uh, I think from some of the stuff I read, genuinely in police forces in the UK, they have a name for people who send those things in. <laughs> They're officially called nutters, apparently, <laughs> by the police. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so apart from my family connection between psychics and the police, the case that always comes to mind, and it'd be interesting to see if you agree, is the involvement of a psychic medium in the legendary Jack the Ripper murders. Oh, I have no idea about this. Oh, okay. Well, you'll like this then. So as we all know, Jack the Ripper was the vicious serial killer who plagued London's Whitechapel area between April 1888 and February 1891 committing, depending on which source you consult, between five and 17 brutal murders. I think five is the most recognisable and accurate number that we have. Now, I have seen numerous movies, read books, that feature the story of a psychic helping the police in the Ripper case. And I was intrigued as to whether that is fiction, exaggeration or the truth. So I've dug a little bit deeper. Ooh. Yes. So, so you think you you were you were going on the lines of oh, it probably is just a fictional character put in there to spice things. That was going through my head, or what was the real involvement? You know, certainly what I did know before I started this was there was a psychic around at that time who was very famous. Did that get kind of intermingled with the Ripper story, or was there some basis in it? So, uh, the psychic in question was a man called Robert James Lees who has been described as a spiritualist, medium, preacher, healer, and writer. Whenever we feature anybody like this, they've got multiple hats that they do. Yes, yeah, yeah. And penny-farthing repairer (laughs) and part-time inventor (laughs) and nudist. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, uh, he was born in 1849. Famously, it's said he acted as spiritualist to Queen Victoria, especially after her husband, Prince Albert's death. Though, again, from the research I've done, that seems like probably a bit of an exaggeration rather than fact. Lees Lees claimed that he had his first paranormal experience when he was six six years old. Slight shot here. Coincidentally, being visited by a ghostly presence as a child when he struggled to sleep. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Which was a bit kind of like, oh, that's weird when I read it. That is weird. Um. He describes this encounter in his own words. I'm not going to be able to do his accent because I don't know what he sounds like, so I'm just going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I am personally aware that as a child, I cried at being left in the darkness unless I saw a mysterious and to others invisible kilted Highlander who remained beside me talking and singing till I fell asleep. And even now, after a lapse of half a century, the vivid memory of his strong but kindly face is as freshly recalled as if he had sat beside me while this new year was born. 
So he likes him then? He likes him, yeah. It's an interesting one, that. I tried to work out, I looked at where he was born and whether he spent a lot of time in Scotland, I don't know. A kilted Highlander is a bit of a weird one to get, I think. It is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Still, I mean, I suppose as good as any. As I mentioned earlier, Robert James Lee has featured in many movie adaptations of Jack the Ripper story, in one movie being played by Donald Sutherland. Oh. Which I thought was cool. It's a movie called Sherlock Holmes, Murder by Decree. Okay. Which I've never seen. Don't know if no, you've seen never it. heard of it, no. So, uh, incredible cast, though. Includes Christopher Plummer, James Mason and John Gielgud. Blimey, that is a big cast. Yeah, I looked at it and thought, oh, maybe I should watch it. It's kind of, you know, the Jack the Ripper tale. It's kind of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. What's not so like with that cast? Um, so I wanted to explore what Lee's real involvement was with the Jack the Ripper case, because if you believe the movies, he was either side by side with the police in the investigation or so accurate in his visions that he was considered one of the main suspects. Oh, yes, of course. That is the danger, isn't it? Yes. That is the danger, right? Because you've got all this information. Um, so you don't remember him in connection with the Ripper story? No, no. That's interesting. Well... The truth, Ben, as we've discovered on this podcast, can often be distorted. Uh, fact and fiction fusing, and the stories can take on a life of their own, right? Of course, yes. Now, according to Jennifer D. Pegg, who's the author of Robert James Lee's and Visions from Hell, much of the legend around Lee's involvement in the Jack the Ripper case was fueled by an article in the Chicago Sunday Times Herald, which was published on the 28th of April, 1895. I, can a paper have as like any more titles? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it the Chicago Sunday Times Herald. <laughs> Featuring So Was Weekly. So in this article in 1895, it was claimed that Lee was troubled by visions of Jack the Ripper for years. And in his visions, he actually viewed the killings. Lee's became so disturbed by the Ripper visions that he sought medical help and left England. Now, while abroad, all his visions of the Ripper ceased. This is really interesting. When he returned to London with his wife, Lees was travelling on a bus when a man got on at Notting Hill. Lees turned to his wife and said that that man is Jack the Ripper. Despite his wife laughing away this claim, Lees was certain that this was the Ripper and followed the man when he left the bus at Marble Arch. Whilst in pursuit, Lees happened across a police constable and told him that the man he was following was Jack the Ripper. But like Lee's wife, the police officer just laughed it off. You kind of would, wouldn't you? This guy walks up yeah. to you. It's an impossible situation. Yeah. Now, after more Ripper murders were committed, this is where this story that was published in the Chicago Times, Sunday, Heralds, Weekly, whatever it is, um, just ramps up on the weirdness level. They claimed... That after the Ripper murders, after more Ripper murders were committed, Lees approached the police again and led them to a house in a wealthy area of London, which was the home to a prominent physician. Ah. Now, the story states that the police agreed that this man was Jack the Ripper. They agreed? They, they, well, they believed him, basically. Right. But in order to protect the reputation of this prominent gentleman... Jack the Ripper was put in an asylum under the name of Thomas Mason. And a fake funeral was even held 
for, the, for this man in order to complete the deception for the original man. But why would they want to protect him? I guess if he had powerful connections, they, you know, in those days, they wanted to protect people's reputations, maybe. And it's, it, I mean, in terms of a narrative, it's actually not a bad one. No. Because it would explain why the Jack the Ripper was never officially caught, why he only committed what seems like five murders and then stopped. Uh, yeah, so his killing spree ended and he was never caught. Where, yeah, okay, they'd actually found him, but had hushed it up and put him away somewhere and that's why it all ended. Wow, I wasn't expecting that to go there. Well, it does sound like an amazing story, right? Oh. <laughs> And according to Jennifer D. Pegg, that's exactly what it is. Oh. A story with little basis in truth, a hoax published by the Chicago Sunday Times Herald, retold over the years by numerous newspapers, books, TV shows and films. Pegg says clues were there in the original article, such as talk of 17 victims, when in fact there were only five recorded murders. Mm. Pegg claims there are other clues in the article that lend to the theory it was a deliberate hoax. I don't know if this is one, but one thing I picked up on when I read it was the original article states that the Ripper was, when he was put in the asylum, was given the name Thomas Mason. Now, given other conspiracies linking Jack the Ripper to the Freemasons, I wonder if that was a deliberate inclusion to kind of as a bit of a nod to the host. Yeah. Yeah, the hoax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes that makes sense. And there's nothing like it was published on April the first, or no. Uh, there was there was a, a bit of a backstory about in Chicago there was a Whitechapel club. I have no idea what that is. Whether it's people who lived in Whitechapel who went to live in Chicago, I don't know. That somehow they'd put this thing to the paper as a hoax. So it wasn't clear to me whether. The newspaper published it thinking it was a genuine thing. So they, the, the story apparently had been retold by someone who went with the police to the house who took the Jack the Ripper to the asylum and got drunk one night in a bar and told this story to someone and then it was relayed. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, it's very alluring though, isn't it? Because it, it brings, cl- well, yeah, brings closure to something that we've been pondering on for ages. Cause like every four or five years, there's a new Ripper book out yeah. saying that, Oh, it's this person or that person. Yeah. I've, and each of them say they've got, they've got to the truth. And I'm pretty sure that over the last 20 years, I've seen a number of these and it's always someone different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I've got no idea where we are now, who did it. Um, but certainly that, I'll tell you the other thing it highlighted to me, Ben, and it's something, again, we've touched upon on the podcast before. Really hard when you're researching these things. We always say, you know, all reliable sources. But, you know, that article was from a reliable source and at the time, a newspaper. It was, those facts were also picked up in 1931 by the Daily Express when they ran an eight-day feature on Jack the Ripper it must have been on some kind of anniversary I imagine other books have used that as an explanation of what happened in the Ripper case even BBC documentary reported the article as fact um, over time so gosh it just shows how muddy these waters can get even from reliable sources funny how um 
this is muddied from the reliable sources of a newspaper, as was the Thunderbird story, albeit the Thunderbird story not doing it deliberately. And we don't know if this was done deliberately either. No. It might have just been, you know, sloppily referenced or something. Yeah, as yeah. you know, it could have just been a, a theory that uh, the the reporter got wrong and posted it as fact. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, the reality of the psychic Robert James Lee's involvement in the in the Jack the Ripper case does seem much less spectacular. Again, some I'm sure some people will say, no, 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 you're discounting lots of stuff. So in his own diary, uh, Lee made entries in 1888 that pointed to the fact uh, that in October, a month when no Ripper murders took place, he went both to the city police and the Scotland Yard to offer his assistance because he was having visions and he did think he had information that would help the police. Uh, however, he was turned away as a madman on both occasions. Yeah, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. <laughs> Although there's quite interesting sub to it. it. It said in the, in the uh, research that I read, though Scotland Yard offered to write to him. <laughs> 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 I don't know what they were, were going to say. <laughs> oh, that's quite sweet. <laughs> it's always one of those generic, uh, thanks for your interest in the Jack the Ripper case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, uh, well, I suppose it's the equivalent of, look, if we think of anything, we'll give you a call. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yes, what, you know, certainly my uh, thoughts of this psychic medium being involved in the police case obviously came from numerous films and books that I'd read rather than a basis in reality. So it kind of wasn't quite what I was looking for in terms of police involvement. Yes, he did say he had visions. Yes, he approached the police. No, they weren't interested. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to another prominent British case that did involve investigations by a psychic, uh, and that's the tragic Soham murders. Oh, yeah. And the psychic called Dennis McKenzie. I don't know anything about this either. For those of you, I mean, anyone in the UK will know this. Maybe people outside the UK wouldn't. The Soham murders is a harrowing case of the disappearance Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, who went missing in Soham in Cambridgeshire in 2002. After the girls went missing, Holly's family called in a clairvoyant called Dennis McKenzie in order to help them. So they contacted him. McKenzie said he instantly knew that something terrible had happened. He broke the news to the family, saying, I'm terribly sorry, but both your girls are dead. Mm. In the days before the bodies of the two 10-year-olds were found, Mackenzie shared a remarkable set of insights. He says, I described the caretaker, Ian Huntley, who would be convicted for the murders, and his girlfriend, Maxine Carr. I also described the view from Huntley's house, his red Fiesta car, the Fenland road he drove along to dispose of the bodies, and the site where he dumped them. So accurate were his readings that Holly's father has said publicly that Mackenzie is the genuine article. Holly's father provided Mackenzie's information to the police. Other information Mackenzie provided in the case included describing the view from the house where the girls had been taken to. It's a bit interesting. 
He described the view of a tall building like a windmill with no sails. There was a grain silo outside murderers in Huntley's house. God, that's like that sounds like a remote viewing type of thing as well. That's what I thought when yeah. I yeah. He also described a woman with shrew-like face and brown hair, and that the man was in his thirties with low intelligence. That both had northern accents. These descriptions certainly ran true for Huntley, who was convicted of the murders, and his girlfriend Maxine Carr, who was convicted as his accomplice. That's fascinating. I, I, the silo thing really struck out for me. Yes. Because actually, if you do look at a grain silo, that's quite a good description, a windmill, but yes, without it any is. sails. Yes, yes, the shape, yes. Um, the other thing that really hit me, if you were going to kind of convince yourself or cold read or just make generic statements, I mean, you could argue that some of those statements are quite generic. So I thought of, so first you go Red Fiesta, that's really quite specific, Ford Fiesta that's red. But I, I would have thought back then and even now, the Ford Fiesta is probably one of the best-selling cars in the UK. Is red a popular colour for it? Maybe, maybe not. But okay, it's kind of, it's not really generic, but it's there's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. But, but that car was used to dispose of the bodies, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. The other bit that struck me was the fact that the psychic was talking about it being a two-person crime so a, a, a partner with him well and I know there are obviously quite a lot of famous examples of like Fred and Rose West things like that mm. but you generally think of those crimes as a kind of solitary action mm. it doesn't feel as usual to have a kind of a partnership going on especially a couple who are involved committing those kind of murders so I thought that was interesting as well yeah, that is very interesting. Um, the the shrew like description. Yeah. It's spot on, really, when you see photos of yeah. Maxine Carr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is there any record of what the police thought about this? I think, I think the police, I, I think the police were not dismissive they probably took on board because it was the family who were putting this information in do you know what I mean so it wasn't like this was somebody who just contacted them saying hey I've got information so um I don't know I think there might have been a certain degree of the police maybe going along with it because of the family involvement yeah yeah there's a certain handling of of people involved for for reasons, but it, it like I guess what I would say is like, I mean that all sounds really impressive and good, but why why has he not had a look at Madeleine McCann, for example? Yeah, yeah. Unless it doesn't work like that, it's Unless just it doesn't work that come, way, comes yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, I read quite. I mean, he did put. He did. I was again financial gain. He did publish a book about it, but he definitely sought permission and the family were involved in helping him with that book uh he states very clearly that he does work on other cases like that he he does charge people for private sittings but if it's that kind of example or something tragic or a murder case or a police investigation he doesn't obviously charge fees for that so i don't know 
Yeah, that's kind of how I imagine it works. Yeah, in my in my fictional TV series, that's how they do it. <laughs> that's how they do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that is an example of a psychic helping in a murder inquiry. However, was at the request of the family rather than the police? And I think your question is pertinent. Would the police have brought him in? Would the police have taken him seriously if it had not come through the family? I don't know. I'm kind of sceptical that they would have. Did they act on any of it? <clears throat> it's never... I, I don't know is yeah, the answer to yeah. that. It's cloudy. Because when you, when you think... I mean, I remember it vividly and... Um, because they were there was a coverage of it again recently because the uh, the there's a moment in a sky news interview where he's speaking live that he basically um gives away that he's done it it, it, it just by a misspeaking of something right and the, that alerts the police to go yeah we need to look at him again yeah but i wonder whether that you know that is one explanation for it. It's quite completely possible that that is a MacGuffin and what they really did was kind of look at this guy's evidence and then it's very hard to go, yeah, we found him through psychic research. And you just go, oh, yeah, no, yeah. well, it was this interview on Sky News and we knew it was him. Yeah. Well, and, and that's it's funny, your brain is going how mine was while I was researching this because I thought, okay, it's not exactly what I was looking for. So I started to dig around and I did some research at the US Department of Justice website and I found a paper that was originally from the Law and Order Journal and this is the kind of find that you love to get it was called Psychics and Police Work Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a long paper so I'm going to try and summarise the salient points so the paper states The usefulness of psychics in police investigations is controversial. But psychics have long been and will undoubtedly continue to be involved in unsolved criminal investigations. Psychics include... Now, I'm not sure. I did try and look up all these meanings. Psychics include clairvoyants. We know what they are. Prophesizers. I guess that's pretty the same as a clairvoyant, isn't it? Um, yeah, although I guess they're sort of like, and in 10 years you will be a millionaire or something like right, that. Right, right. Telepaths, yep. Palmists, yep. Numerologists. Graphologists. Handwriting experts. That's right. Yeah. And metaphysicians. Physicians. Metaphysicians. Don't know. I did look that up, but I forgot. <laughs> I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> something amazing. So both psychics and detectives base their work on intuition to some extent, the article says. Then talks about Dorothy Allison of Nutley, New Jersey, who assisted police in more than 4,000 investigations and has received many letters from law enforcement agencies describing how she helped them. To produce information in a criminal investigation, most psychics like to have an article or a photograph of the victim or visit the victim's home or the crime scene. Alison asks only for the person's date and place of birth and the date and location last seen. Again, that kind of sparked thoughts in my mind about remote viewing. I know, you know, even remote viewing is a lot less detailed than mm. that. But <clears throat> and some of the stuff that we, when we spoke to uh, psychics about, 
you know, being able to do it remotely and on Zoom and actually sometimes the more accurate, the less information they have, which I yeah. think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, the, the piece goes on to talk about Professional Psychics United, PPU, which is a network of more than 380 psychics uh, that has a volunteer psychic rescue team. PPU psychics usually become involved only after the police contact them, which I thought was interesting as well. Paul Kurtz, the head of the Committee for the Scientific Investigations of Claims of the Paranormal, dismisses psychics outright, saying that much of their detection is actually wild guessing. In, 19, in a 1993 article in the organisation's journal, it revealed that 31 of 50 large police agencies surveyed have never used psychics. The FBI also does not hire psychics and does not plan to use them, although it notes that they, like, that they psychics, like other citizens, can offer information for assistance by, for assessment by law enforcement officials. Psychics and their critics differ sharply in the views about their usefulness, but they'll probably continue to be involved in criminal investigations. So oh, I love those things. They just fascinate me that people are writing about that topic. Yeah. For police agencies with that kind of detail. Yeah. And it sounds like they're using them as an ingredient rather than the full meal yeah. to solve the thing. Yeah. Which, you know, this sounds so similar to uh, when we were talking about how oil companies used, for example, Uri Geller yeah. to decide where to dig. They might, they might have you know, a target place to drill, but they want to know the best place to drill, so they bring him in. So it feels like in this case you could almost say, you know, well, well we've got a number of places to look for the murder weapon. Where, where would you first start with? Yeah, and like you said with the Soham case, and I don't know if it was like that in the Soham case, but if you're not making a big fuss of it and you're not drawing that kind of negative attention, if you're keeping it on the down low, basically, yeah. why wouldn't you? What, what have you got to lose, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. But it also, it, it puts it into that funny category of, well, of course, psychics aren't real, but I mean, we use them. They're not real, but we use them. Right. Well, why do you use them? Yeah. And it, it's, I find it, it's the same thing really as um, the formalization of remote viewing that we were talking about with the US military. As soon as you start flagging that you're using it, people go, well, you can't use it because it's not real, even when it blatantly exists. So it's the same thing here. So it, it feels a lot softer, doesn't it? If you just kind of go, oh, yeah, well, you know, we've got, we've, we've got this guy who sometimes helps us know where to look and, and he's very helpful. People don't go, oh, the police are flipping weirdos going to psychics. They're like, oh, well, you know, if that works, rather than detectives such and such going, well, look, I'm really looking for an excellent psychic to help us find this murderer because I've got nothing to go on. It's a completely different kettle of fish. Yeah, which again, kind of, uh, <clears throat> that kind of ties in, doesn't it, with that Soham case? Because yeah. it's quite easy to say, look, we're going to look into it for the family. But if actually, if it is useful, that's a win-win, right? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And it's that, oh, it must be horrible if you... <sighs> 
you the morals you must have if you know that something terrible has happened to those people's kids yeah you must be fairly sure of yourself to say that yeah because that's going to cause a whole load of upset if you're wrong yeah and and but also yeah and also the premonition side of it as well if you're if it's a missing person let's say then that's and you you know that you've got information that you believe could help but either no one's taking you you seriously or you know acting on it i guess a bit like that stephen king story isn't it the dead zone that's a bit like that. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it is it is <clears throat> well the u.s department of justice thing mentioned that uh in the piece a psychic called dorothy allison so I thought I'd do a little bit more digging about her because she seemed to have worked on a lot of police cases. And it was a weird thing to find, but I did find an obituary piece on her that was published in the Los Angeles Times in December of 1999, obviously just after she died. Mm. It says, Dorothy Allison volunteered to aid police as psychic. Now, the piece itself said that when she was a child, neighbours thought she was a witch. At age 14, she said she had a vision of her father's death. A few weeks later, he died of pneumonia. Dorothy Allison suddenly came to the conclusion that she was psychic. Her mother, a seer, warned that her visions were a gift and should never be used for profit. So for more than 30 years, Allison used that gift to help police find missing children and those who prey upon them. She amassed a wall full of framed citations from police departments, but never accepted money, save for the occasional travel expense or fee for appearing on a television show to discuss psychic detective work. Nine years ago, Alison told her family she would not live to be 75. She died Wednesday in a Belleville, New Jersey hospital of heart failure at the age of 74. Her birthday was four weeks away. Aww. In her voluntary detecting career, Alison worked on more than 5,000 cases for law enforcement agencies around the globe and was credited by many with helping to solve more than a dozen murders and find at least uh, 50 missing children. Alison candidly concedes that she couldn't find her own reading glasses or anything else she had misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah, it is really cute, isn't it? She never pretended to understand her gift, but disputed the theory that clairvoyance is inherent in all people. She said, I don't believe everybody has it, she told the Times in 1983. If they did, why aren't they using it? Considered the dean of the detective psychics, Alison wrote a book about her work in 1979 titled A Psychic Story. The mother of four first volunteered her services in 1967 when she told the Nutley police she had dreamed of a blonde blue-eyed boy in a green snowsuit with his shoes on the wrong feet who was drowned in a pond and his body was stuck in a drainpipe. A month later, a missing boy whose description had not been publicised was found in a drainpipe and his shoes were on the wrong feet. Which is an incredible detail. Wow isn't it yeah because again it's one of those things you wouldn't if you're just going to be generic you yeah. wouldn't say it no would you, you wouldn't no no of course not no in 1974 san francisco's randolph hearst invited her to help find his kidnapped daughter patricia it's a very famous case 
Alison didn't find the young woman, but later called the FBI twice to say that she felt Patty was hiding in Pennsylvania and then in New York City. Both feelings proved accurate, and Alison also was correct in predicting that the newspaper heiress would join her captors in robbing a bank. Two years after that, Alison saw the word M-A-R and oil in connection with a missing 14-year-old girl. In 1978, two boys found the girl's body in an oil drum on a New York City Staten Island near a rock with the words M-A-R scrawled on it. Blimey. Before David Berkowitz's arrest, Alison also was credited with giving an accurate description of the son of Sam Killer to the police, which is amazing, and correctly predicted that he would be picked up on a traffic violation. Now, there is a counter-argument to this. The piece goes on to say Alison also had a very public failures. When she was called to Atlanta in 1980 to assist police in investigating the murder of several black children, an Atlanta police detective branded her that wacko broad who rode around in a big limousine, ate real well for three days and then went home. She said she gave, he said she gave police 42 possible names for the murderer None of them, that of the man ultimately arrested, tried and convicted and sentenced. A year early, uh, earlier at Patterson, New Jersey, Detective Flatout called Alison a fraud and said she had wrongly claimed credit for leading police to a body of a strangled eight-year-old boy in order to promote her book. He said Alison had led dozens of policemen and bloodhounds on a wild goose chase and had herself given up the search when nothing was found. A witness who saw the suspects and the boy together, the detective said, actually led to the discovery of the body and the arrest and conviction of the killer. And there's some other ones that, you know, didn't go well, but um, the, but it ends. The diminutive Alison, who could hurl epithets at critics and child abusers alike, wore a medallion of St Anthony, protector of the lost and slept with colour snapshots of what she called her little angels, the missing children in her cases. The medallion in the photo, she claimed, helped her visualise locations of the bodies and suspects. Alison was survived by her husband Bob, two sons, Robert and Alex, a daughter, Dorothy and seven grandchildren. So... What a character. Yeah, um, she sounds like a film ready to make. But I think, I think there's, there have been a few TV shows and stuff about I think there is a TV series that's loosely based on her. But I, as we always do, you counterbalance it. But those ones where she had the success, do the police force agree that she has the success? Do they say, oh, it was her that did that? Yeah, yeah. Well, in that case, you know... It's always if if it was you know if it was someone else if someone else was saying look it was her and the police are like no it was just good detective work but we really love her yeah it's different okay that's really that's amazing it is amazing and it's the kind of detail I was looking for um, and there's a couple of things from uh, that obituary and the thing I found on the Department of Justice website that struck me you know I think. It does say in there that the FBI do not work with psychics and they don't plan to, officially at least. Um, and it, But what struck me was when it said about the larger police agencies in the US and it said over 60% say they do not work with psychics. 
But I thought, well, hold on a second. That means that <laughs> nearly 40% do. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which is fascinating. Right? Yes, yeah. And um, d- despite your teasing last week, I didn't know that this is the level you were going into, but I was coincidentally reading about a wildlife protection officer who works in India to, on behalf of the uh, reserves there to protect tigers and specifically hunt out orphan tigers. And he uses a, uh, well, I, is it a psychic technique? He uses dowsing with a map and a pendulum. And he later went on to use the same technique to discover aircraft crashes in the same vicinity. And he had 100% accuracy. Now, this is this is a third-hand thing. I'm not saying that that is true, but it is true that there is somebody who looks after baby tigers and finds them using a pendulum. Right. Similar kind of deal. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, all that, I'm just going to finish off because where it left me was, obviously, there are psychics involved in US police work. But it made me wonder whether there is an official line from British police on psychics being involved in investigations. Yeah. And I found an article that was uh, in the Daily Beast from 2017. It's by Tom Sykes. And it was titled, UK police advise officers don't discount psychics and witches in investigations. Don't discount them. Yeah. Now, the article says that under revised professional standards, officers are told... Now, remember, this is from an official police document. Yeah. High-profile missing person investigations nearly always attract the interest of psychics and others such as witches and clairvoyants, stating they possess extrasensory perception. Any information received from psychics should be evaluated in the context of the case. Police are warned that information from psychics should not, I quote, become a distraction to the overall investigation and search strategies unless it can be verified. Uh, There's a great quote in the article from someone called Joss Loeb uh, uh, of the online trade publication Police Oracle. So this is the, uh, the, the police person's magazine. Uh, and not their teletext service. <laughs> not their, no, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Page 999. <laughs> I've really just got that. Yeah, yeah. so I didn't deliver it well. Um, so uh, when, the, when it was first reported about this new official advice, it, he said, the new guidance has raised some eyebrows among police officers. He said, the point they are making is they shouldn't automatically dismiss it. Not least because, although some might say they have discovered this information by staring into their crystal ball, they might actually have heard it from someone down the pub. But what is slightly bizarre is that the advice also tells officers to take into account if the psychic has any accredited successes. He says, it's hardly like these people go around with a certificate saying, I'm a qualified magician. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. So I guess, I guess the guidance is not directly saying go and use psychic in your police investigations, but it does seem to acknowledge that they can provide useful information, especially if they have a proven track record, I guess, which is fascinating. Yeah, it is. 
I wonder if anyone has ever committed a crime, then pretended to be psychic and gone to the police and then solved it. No, because then they'd incriminate themselves. What a stupid thing to say. Yeah, no, people, forget that. But you never know. People do confess to crimes they don't commit. Don't that they? is true. That is true. Yes. Apparently that's a real big problem in um, serial killer yeah. investigations. If people want the, the, the fame and guess some various other bits that go with it. Yeah. Um, that that bit on the British police did get me thinking that it might be time for us to do another one of our freedom of information requests. Yes, last time we did uncover witches, wizards, werewolves, yeah. and demons. Well, it, it made me think about that that statistic that you know forty percent of major police forces in America have used psychics. I wonder, you know, in investigations, I wonder what that's like in the uh, in the UK. Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do one of those. We'll do one of those. It also made me think, you know, when I was reading that that thing about the psychic who'd worked on all those cases, I mean, there, there probably are a lot of podcasts and books out there that cover a lot of those, but it'd be good to dig a bit deeper in some of those individual cases. And it's fascinating to me that the work of psychics in that police work. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I just wonder whether... I wonder how many other fields of investigation, not just, uh, you know, beyond criminal, that people use psychics for but don't really mm. talk about. We've spoken about oil there, but I wonder whether, like, lost animals or, like, maybe predicting crop yields, I wonder whether there's something in that that people just don't talk about. Well, certainly when we talk to Adaz Smith about remote viewing, there was those techniques that, slightly different techniques to the the main remote viewing but they use for predicting stock market you know and currency yeah so there's obviously some commercial use and like you said of kind of finding oil things and stuff like that yeah it would be really interesting it's weird to think there is that kind of weird sub culture because it's not something you necessarily if you're the ceo want to kind of bring up at the shareholder meeting is it but no absolutely but but the fact that the police say that, I just, it's so annoying because you just kind of, like, the way you're saying that, you kind of have to admit that it must be somewhat real. Yeah. <clears throat> I do. I, there must be a few cases out there where the psychic has approached and has ended up being charged with the murder, you know, that they haven't committed. There must be, you know, there must be examples of that, I'm sure. Yeah, because you would if somebody was because there are all those bits, aren't they, that the police do not reveal to the press, so they kind of know when they've got the right person. If you're a psychic and you unravel one of those things, it must be pretty hard. Quite a bold move to go to the police. It it, it went back to my thing of being, you're not going to do it, are you? You might. I mean, people do strange things and get notoriety from strange things, but if you are cold reading, making it up, making generic statements, if you are a fraud or a bit of a con, to go to the police and act that out seems a very high risk or bizarre thing to do. Well, yeah. I mean, and it would be pointless because you've got no one to cold read off and you'd soon ruin your own re- reputation. I wonder whether Derek Okora ever went and yeah yeah um i think that i'm absolutely i'm enchanted by that just because of that 
it's the it's the thought process. It's if you can accept that psychics are real by a in in the in the context of the police force, can you then accept that ghosts are real? And we've had a little bit of that. We've had a little bit when we've been speaking to to Ruth, and um, it's come up in a few of our stories that you know the uh, somebody feels like they might have run over somebody and the, they call the police and the police are like yeah don't worry about it that's we know that happens it's a thing so there's another sort of tacit recognition that something odd is going on there and yet it's it's like one of those things that you can't talk about in polite society now i'm not like again we're not putting forward the view that this is true or false or right or wrong, but just those official statements do make you think differently about how we talk about these people. And yeah. Um, well, I think the other thing as well that strikes me about those kind of statements are, and you, you know, we both, both of us have worked for big organizations and had to make press statements and write a press release. Again, we've mentioned this on the thing before. Those kind of words, both from the US, that were on the US Department of Justice site and the the guidance given to British police, somebody would have poured over those words and what they were saying. Oh and yeah, what, you know, no, to, tone that down a bit, tone that down. A, you know, things normally get toned down rather than ramped up. Of don't course, they? absolutely, they do. So you know, I just yeah, I'd love to have seen draft one <laughs> of those statements. Yeah. Yeah, I would as well. I would. Because that will have gone through lawyers and, you know, can you, is this provable and can you back it up with evidence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, the more you get into it, the more this is a mysterious and peculiar world, isn't it? It is. It is. Did I tell you that my mother, my mother thought she was psychic and a witch? Did I tell you that? No, you, you, you've not told me that. Oh, uh, well... Um, the, she always says that she is and she gets worried about it and the the one incident that she cites more than anything else is whilst waiting in a queue for a car wash somebody pulls in in front of her and she swears to herself and goes god I hope the car wash rips that car to pieces and whilst going through the car wash the door did get pulled off the car oh, wow. by the car wash. <laughs> and she puts that down to her own psychic abilities. And I said, Mum, honestly, I think you're all right. If you're just harming Ford Fiestas, you're all right. But she says, no, my powers are too great. But yeah, she's just <laughs> did, a primary school teacher. Did she go well. up to the guy at the end and say, you didn't see her that coming? No. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did, actually. <laughs> she should have done. Oh. That, was, that was absolutely brilliant. I've, I've looked at things in a whole new light now. I assumed that psychics and the police were just the fact of... Uh, Sorry, a, a fiction rather than a fact and something that belonged in um, a case file, you know, an episode of Miss Marple or yeah. something like or the, that. Or a new Netflix series. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But since we've been speaking about all this, have you noticed, like, because I'm not, there's no way, I, this is not me saying I'm psychic, not at all, not at all. But have you noticed, like, to trust your own intuition sometimes? And you can see somebody across a room and you can, without even making eye contact with them, there's the, your hackles go up and you go, I don't want to talk to them. There's something wrong with them. There's something weird with them. Uh, you just wonder whether it's the same thing in action or whether you're just judging somebody on their face. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There is something... I 
think maybe realizing the world is quite weird and random does give you a certain degree of um of relaxedness weirdly i don't know yeah it if does that makes sense yeah. it does yeah good well All right well we um i hope you enjoyed that i hope you're liking and subscribing um and uh yeah we've got this this coffee thing do you think we should mention that yeah we should mention that yeah we've got it'll probably be in the description show notes as well we've just set up a little thing that um it's called a coffee k-o-f-i though see what they did there um where you can always go if you like this episode or you like what you do you can click on the link and you can do you can basically buy us a coffee um, you can just donate and do it. We're not going to do any hard sell on it, but if you if you fancy it and uh, you've got enough spare change to buy us a coffee, click on the link. That'll be much appreciated. And also much appreciated, uh, all of you who've been contributing stuff to uh, our Facebook pages this week. There's, um, there's, there's an article I still haven't got through, the, um, the nudist person. <laughs> Right, I saw that. Yeah, terrifying pictures. Um, But uh, thank you for that. Thank you for everybody that um, joins in those conversations. Um, We're we're not on there all the time, largely because we've got um, full-time jobs and I've got a very demanding dog at the moment. Um, But uh, when I do get on there and you're all lovely, uh, it's absolutely gorgeous to speak to you. Thank you. Yeah, keep it coming. Keep, Keep liking, subscribing, reviewing and recommending. That'd be brilliant. Um, and now you can buy us a coffee if you want as well we will see you next week on the quantum mechanics hope you have a good week have a good week see you next time bye Quantum mechanics.